Welcome everyone to a new episode of FF Plus, your spoiler-free outlet for movie reviews, entertainment recommendations, and discussion. I'm one of your hosts, Aaron, and with me is my co-host, Coles. Hey, how's everybody doing? I'm sure they're good. I'm going to answer for them. I think they're doing <laughs> amazing. <laughs> they're listening to us, so they're definitely oh, yeah. doing... They're going to be doing well for the next 30 minutes or so. That's what we can promise. <laughs> Well, we have two films to talk about. Both of them involve avoiding mythological monsters, <laughs> in a sense. So uh, in one way or another, it's about survival on this episode of FF+. And we are going to start with a, a film from one of our favorite directors, Zack Snyder. This is Army of the Dead, a movie that we have both been looking forward to quite a bit. It stars Dave Bautista. Ella Purnell, Omari Hardwick, Anna de la Reguera, Theo Rossi, Matthias Schweigafer, Nora Arnazetter, Hiroyuki Sonata, aka Scorpion, Garrett Dillahunt, Tignataro, Raul Castillo, Huma Qureshi, Samantha Wynn, Richard Citrone, and Michael Cassidy. It is directed and written by Zack Snyder and co-written by Shea Hatton and Joby Harold. What's it about? Following a zombie outbreak in Las Vegas, a group of mercenaries take the ultimate gamble, venturing into the quarantine zone to pull off the greatest heist ever attempted. Kales, what did you like about this movie? I thought it was very ironically funny that the place where these zombies are all kept and walled off for everybody else would be in the city of Las Vegas. The city of Vegas is sin. It's um, what you know, what those strong religious people like to call a Sodom and Gomorrah for our times. And just to have this scourge of just flesh-eating, brain-eating zombies and brain-dead in this city of just fornication. And, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. I did like that. Uh, I like that use of the setting. Also, I like these cast of actors. Um, Dave Bautista, he's always a win. He's been on a little bit of a win streak recently. I kind of just wish when we get to dislikes, he probably should have made a better choice in what film he chose to do for uh, James Gunn. But I like Bautista. I like Hanwick and um, the girl who played Maria. They both played in one of my favorite TV shows called Power, which is on Stars. So it was glad to see them reunited in this one. And good to always see an indelible cast of characters. I mean, always it almost reminds me of um, Suicide Squad in a way, how these people are just all put together for the aim cause of, you know, doing a heist, but also, like, trying to get rid and clear any of the undead they come across. And I did like that there was a sense of a hierarchy with these zombies. I know that they took that inspiration from some of George Romero's films, where there's an alpha and there is, like, this other lower tier zombies that have different abilities different skills so i did like that it wasn't just a straight hey a zombie's going to bite you you turn into a zombie like there's a process that they have they actually have some intelligence so i do like that little bit of, of detail for those monsters not just to have zombies just going walking across the screen just killing people it gets kind of boring after a while all right well i would definitely agree with you on the zombies so the fact that they have this hierarchy is fascinating it is very reminiscent of something like escape from new york or i felt like there's even a couple of homage shots to planet of the apes where one alpha zombie is riding a zombie horse through the dilapidated streets and it felt very much planet of the apes-esque to me 
where this is like their zone. This is not just characters trying to get into a place where there there's an overwhelming number of monsters left, but the mass amount of the zombies seem to have been kind of fought off and, and pushed into this one area. It's very different than maybe what I even expected just seeing the promotional materials for it. And it was intriguing to see a hierarchy explored for the zombies. I think that it was a very good idea to run with for sure. I really liked the opening 10 minutes of this movie. It was my favorite thing about the movie, which is not great when you look at that because the movie is a little bit under two and a half hours long. And so for me, when the first 10 minutes is the best, that says a lot, but that first 10 minutes is awesome. It has some of the best dialogue and witty banter in the entire film. It is a really, really promising setup. The way that this military crew is driving this transport and they're, they're carrying something. They don't know what it is and things obviously go wrong. It's kind of like the origin story and it, and it happens. And then we get some interesting backstory for all of the characters, right? Who are eventually going to become this group that goes in for this heist. We see how they handled themselves during the actual zombie outbreak. And the majority of this movie is set after the outbreak has occurred. Vegas has been a battle zone. And now, as they mentioned, it's quarantined, right? So it's after that initial fight. And so it was very Suicide Squad-esque in the beginning, in that opening sequence, where you're just, it's lots of color and flashes and really, really exaggerated zombie killing going on. Uh, I think Bautista is really good in this. I think that he, once again, shows that he has the chops to be an actor that can carry a movie, whether it be dramatic or action or some blend of the same. I think he has the chops to do that when given strong material and good direction. I liked the idea of exploring kind of what humans would do for the promise of the almighty dollar, because that's really what this boils down to is a couple of different things. Every movie, it feels like it's about grief. <laughs> Both of these movies <laughs> that we're talking about today are about dealing with grief in a way. And that just seems to be the theme <laughs> in Hollywood recently. I don't know the last couple of years, but you know, they're going back in there and they're dealing with trauma that they all have based on, the experience with their zombie outbreak. And so I, I think that that was an interesting idea coupled with the simultaneous fact that they're going in there to get money, right? It's about making a better life for themselves. And what do you risk and what are you willing to do in order to come out on top? Um, th there's a really fascinating way in which the money structure gets determined in this movie. I thought that was cool. Uh, and telling because they start off with X number of money that is offered to them. And when you see how each member of the crew gets assigned certain monetary value for their part in the heist, I thought that was funny because it was kind of like, you know, they obviously aren't going to know that somebody else is getting more than them. But there were some real big discrepancies in the amount of money uh, that was being distributed. So that was kind of interesting. And then, you know, there's some good action. Some of the action is really, really fun to watch. I think it is fast. It is furious. It is brutal. 
And I like that. There's a shootout in particular and a hand-to-hand fight with one of the alpha zombies that stuck out to me. And then daddy-daughter moments. I think there are a couple of really good scenes between Dave Bautista and Ella Purnell that, taken in context, maybe aren't the best fitting in this movie, but they, they're really good on their own. See, that's the thing. Like, there's there's parts of this that I really liked, right? But when you put it all together... I had some issues with it, but they do show like in those moments, if you were just to like show a clip of just Dave Bautista and Ella Purnell on YouTube and you had no before or after knowledge of what the movie around it looked like, you would be like, man, that's a really powerful emotional scene. So they did well in that regard. (laughs) Okay, so we're talking around. The elephant in the room, which is that both of us didn't really like this movie that much. So <laughs> I'll, I will let you start. What bothered you about this? What was it that made it not that great of an experience for you? I just want to clarify this Zack Snyder direct this film. Like I see that his name is on this film, but did he really <laughs> direct this? Was this really in his vision? Because it doesn't feel like Snyder to me. Like there were honestly throughout this film, the focus shots where you have these characters, they're just the prime center of the frame and then everything else is a blur around them it looks ugly it looks like something that you would have as a skype filter you know if you have a dirty room and you don't want somebody to see your room you turn on the blur filter boom it covers everything up and that's what it looks like sometimes when i see these focus shots the slow motion feels very normal it doesn't feel very cinematic or theatrical like snyder usually makes it even though it looks like he's filming with somewhat of an imax camera in this film but it doesn't feel epic and, you know, I'm not expecting for a zombie film to be like Lawrence of Arabia, but Snyder, Snyder usually brings something very majestic to his films. And I didn't get that effect in the cinematography. I didn't really care for any of the other characters outside of Dave Bautista. Like, I, I'm sorry, I understand that some of them got some interesting backgrounds, but we don't spend enough time with them individually to really understand and really care for them and their stakes like i pretty much knew that most of the characters in this film were probably going to be dead within the first 30 minutes and i was like oh yeah so they're just pretty much cannon fodder is what you would call in the video game where you just place a character in there and then you know they're going to die pretty soon after that's pretty much what they are i did like that they tried to include a father-daughter subplot i did like that but the other subplots didn't really um I didn't really care for. They introduced a love element <laughs> for Dave Batista and then the next scene is immediately just like cut, shredded, and thrown away. And it's like, why even introduce it? This film didn't need to be 148 minutes. It felt like I was living through two lifetimes waiting for the ending to come. Like so I was I would keep pressing the Apple TV remote, and then it would say 56 minutes. Then I'd press it again, and it feels like it would go like 20 <laughs> minutes, but it's like, no, 49 minutes left. <laughs> it's like, when are we getting to the finish line? I I really think that, yes, introducing these characters does bring a kind of a Suicide Squad feel, a Mercenaries feel to it, but not these many characters. Maybe less time on the characters and more about fleshing out Batista, his daughter, and just a couple of the supporting actors. Uh, not everybody. The the character the character of Dieter is such a laughing stock. <laughs> I mean, he's the guy, he's the he's the guy with the brains. So you know in these films where they have all this macho energy, they make the guy with the brains just be like feminine, like girly. Like anytime a zombie came with him, he would start screaming, doing just a just annoying scream. And he would do it every time a zombie was coming near him. Or he would just be telling these brutally like unfunny jokes that just inspire cringe. Or 
and then they try to give him this like little weak redemptive arc towards the end of his um life cycle. But other than that, I the score also is very simple. It, it, it felt like I heard the score like in twenty other action films I've seen in the last few years. It feels like that the people who wrote this screenplay, it felt like that they should have thrown some of these pages into the trash can and then just try to reformat, come back with a better draft, come back to revising these lines, because better screenwriters would have threw some of these pages away. I mean, the humor is just (laughs) unfunny. It's normal. It's generic. It tries so hard to really be hip. It tries so hard to just like have the punchlines, but the, but the, but it's not there. It's a waste of time, and it makes me wish they would have just went full dramatic. Just go full dark with this. Like, there was a reason why Dawn of the Dead is celebrated among people when it came out with a new remake. But then I remember that James Gunn had wrote that script, and James Gunn wasn't writing this script, so there's the key difference right there. It it feels like a missed opportunity. It feels like a... Instead of a bullet, it's a blank. Um, I'm not sure. I, I like the concept of putting together a zombie movie and having a heist film, but I don't think this film needs to do the concept. I think they need to have like more people surrounding Snyder and helping him with some of the decision making. He has a lot of goodwill with me because Snyder Cut is still is still my number two ranked film of the year. So I'm going to give him a pass. He's still my boy. Uh, this doesn't feel like his film it feels like they just slapped his name on it and what what were they using the money for because the visual effects are shoddy and blocky as well there's a couple of scenes where you have these wide shots and literally the characters who are in the foreground they look like blocky characters they look 2d in a 3d world and it's un and it's very unflattering there's times where you'll see blood and guts and you and it just looks so like creamy and fake uh how much money did they did Netflix give Snyder to do on this? Like, I'm hoping they gave him like at least a hundred mil, because I mean you're giving Michael Bay this kind of money. I think Snyder would deserve some of that money too, but it looks like it's working, it's trying to be bigger than his budget, and it's coming out worser than what the budget level is looking like. It's it's a miss for me, I'm sorry, and it pains me to say that. Well, I don't disagree with anything that you just said. I can say cosine to all of that because <laughs> it didn't work for me either. It is my least favorite Snyder film, which sucks. Just frankly, it sucks because I had high expectations. I love heist films. I love Snyder's style. And you're right. Where is the style? Where, I mean, yes, it has Snyder's fingerprints on it. It has some slow motion here and there, but the way that those things come together normally to fulfill you and, and create this really interesting package that has Snyder about it. It doesn't have that. You're right. It's ugly. It is dark. It is gray. It is bland. It is not visually appealing in the least. And it just doesn't make any sort of effort to be super tonal consistent either, because it's got a very serious feel to it. And then You'll have one or two characters that, like you said, they'll just all of a sudden they'll break out into complete comedy, right? Like Tignataro is is the pilot, and she brings comedy, um, and or they bring comedy, and it's just a very strange, weird mixture. The way that the film ebbs and flows through its tones, and then on top of all of this, like it is, like you said, far too long. I think what happened here is Snyder wants everything to be epic. Okay, he can't just tell a story. Dawn of the Dead, like you said, James Gunn wrote it. It's a tight, shorter film. It's in, it's out. 
characters, zombie apocalypse, stuck in a building. How the hell do we get off this roof? Right? Simple. Snyder takes a simple concept. Money over there. Zombies in the way. How do we get to the money? Boom. And he tries to make this entire mythos around it. And what I started to realize is that I went and looked at my, my Snyder movie rankings, right? All of the things that I like the most are adaptations. When he creates his own characters, it is much less effective for me. I didn't like anybody in this movie. Like, not didn't, I didn't dislike them as people, but I didn't like them as characters. Like, they had, they didn't have the depth or the interestingness to them that, like you were saying, that, that gave me any reason to care about. I forgot about them all, like, pretty much instantly. If they died, I didn't care. It was whatever. We're on to the next one. It just, they didn't have any sort of a, a very special quality about them that would make them need to be there. Where, where if you give him a Batman or you give him a Superman or you give him somebody from 300, um, he's able to translate what he sees on a page and what he reads into a cinematic version that is really appealing. But when he creates them himself, it just, it is not working for me. I will also say that Tignataro, who was put into this film digitally after the fact, uh, they replaced uh, an actor named Chris D'Elia, who was accused of child pornography and sex with a minor. Uh, absolutely the right decision. Absolutely the right decision to take him out and put Tignataro in there. But you can tell, okay? Like, it's obvious. There are scenes where Tig is talking, and it looks like a digital thing and a whole bunch of people standing on a ground, right? Like, it, it looks like they're in two different places. It's very off-putting to me. Um, maybe if you didn't know it was there, it might not be quite as, you might, you probably would be like, something looks off and not know what it is. But for me, it was very distracting. Um, and, and again, it's unfortunate because like they made the right choice, but they needed to have Ridley Scott come in there and fix that up or something. Cause he does a much better job of putting people into his films digitally after the fact. I, I just, I, I don't know, man. I, it was predictable. Two and a half hours of predictable. Like, I don't need that. I need, something new and then when the film had its nice emotional ending where i thought we were done i thought we had a perfect spot for this movie to be over and then it went on like another 10 or 15 minutes <laughs> and i was like why and you know why because they wanted to set up a sequel yeah that, the only reason that it did it was to do something to trigger a sequel and i was like come on man come on so I was disappointed like you. I felt let down. I felt like this premise was so badass and had such an amazing potential about it. And it just wasn't fun. It was not fun. And if you can't make this premise fun, then I don't see the point. So, yeah, chalking it up to a big miss for me and got to just hope that whatever Snyder does next is a rebound. I'm going to agree with you right there. I'm going to give him a pass because of Snyder cut and maybe he was focusing all his energy on that and just didn't have time to come back and just, you know, do some revisioning, do some more serious work on this. Like if there was more serious work on the screenplay and a little bit more development, this could have, this could be fun. This could be great. This would be something I would want to see more of, but I'm like you, I, I'm one and done with this. Like if they come up with a sequel, it's going to be hard pressed for me to get to mash that play button again. Yeah, me as well. And I, I'm really starting to think that maybe Netflix, I posted this on Twitter and on social media this week, maybe them giving their directors complete creative control 
is not always the right move because what we continually have seen is directors who are able to create their true vision and unchecked, it's not appealing to audiences. Mm-hmm. Fincher makes mank. It's Fincher. Technically, quality is great, but nobody gives a damn because yeah. there's no studio who are checking the director and saying, hey, let's make this appealing to your audience. Let's do something to make it to where they're going to actually enjoy it because this is what they like. And instead, we have a director just being like, no, this is my idea, and I'm going to do my idea. And so it's, I'm torn because like, I obviously want that on some level. I think it's cool, but it's showing me that there's a reason it's a group process in making a film. It's not just one person in their vision. And it, I think it's hindering a lot of these directors who are doing it all on their own and realizing, well, maybe they don't realize it, but it, it their films are coming out real average. Sometimes your own creativity can be your worst enemy. I mean, you make something and you're all about being about the vision. You're all about, I want to be in control. I want to make these choices. I don't want this guy in my ear. I don't want this person or this producer coming up to my ear telling me to change the ending or get rid of this character. I don't want that. I want to have full control. But hey, sometimes you might need somebody who's not a yes man. You might need some opposition in order to make your film better tighter and work better for a general audience i know we always talk about original ideals and we still champion that i always want more original stories to come to hollywood but hey we're in the business of where if you make a movie they're expecting you to make some money back these studios are not investing for no reason (laughs) like yes we want you to have your vision but we also want to make our money back so it's all about kind of working in within those two lanes and it can be hard and sometimes directors gotta learn that hey i gotta take I got to take the smut, but it's going to make my film better. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, understanding when to accept help is a sign of strength, not weakness. This film is in theaters right now. It has been for about a week. Uh, I don't know how long it's going to stay. I don't think it's staying very long, but it came into theaters on May 14th. It will be streaming on Netflix on May 21st for everyone to watch at home. Are you feeling it? Should people go to the theater? Should people watch it on Netflix or should people skip it altogether? If you were me, I would skip it all together. I'm not feeling this. I consider this a disappointment, honestly. Listen, I yeah, ah oh, man. <laughs> Are you wavering? Want to change your mind? I <laughs> think that I'm of two minds. One part of me says if you see this in a theater, it's gonna work a little better, just because you're in a theater, not because mm-hmm. the movie's good, but because of the setting. That being said, I was bored to death the whole movie, and I cannot I, – I, I gave it three stars. I even talked to somebody offline. I was like, man, it's wavering though Like, because really my two-star is my disappointed rating, but I don't mm-hmm. feel right giving Zack Snyder two stars. But like that's where I'm at, Colette. Like, it, I, I have no desire to ever watch it again. Zero. Like you said, I don't care about a sequel in the slightest, and so the, the truth – if I'm being honest with myself and with the listeners is that no, I wouldn't recommend it. And so I'm going to, I'm going to go with you and say, no, I I wouldn't, you know, if you've got time to spend, there's a lot better ways to find two and a half hours. I mean, go, go watch Dawn of the Dead. If you haven't seen Mm -hmm. that one, there's your recommendation from us is go watch the Dawn of the Dead remake because it's fantastic. And it's getting the characters correct. Like you care about them. There's a few of just, there's enough, (laughs) not too many. (laughs) And they have great personalities and it's a great tight story. Go, go watch that. 
Well, let's move on. We saved the best for last for us tonight intentionally because we wanted to end on a high. We're going to talk about an original story from a director who was able to create something pretty special. And this is the sequel to John Krasinski's A Quiet Place. It's A Quiet Place Part 2. <laughs> Boringly named, but whatever. Uh, starring Emily Blunt, Cillian Murphy, Millicent Simmons, Noah Jupe, Anjuman Hansu. It actually does star John Krasinski as well. That's not a spoiler because it happens mm -hmm. in the first couple of minutes, and I'm going to talk about that. Uh, it is directed and written by John Krasinski as well. What is it about? Following the deadly events at home, the Abbott family must now face the terrors of the outside world as they continue their fight for survival in silence. Forced to venture into the unknown, they quickly realize that the creatures that hunt by sound are not the only threats that lurk beyond the sand path. So again, this is the sequel to the hit surprise thriller by John Krasinski, A Quiet Place. It was originally scheduled to release last year in March. In fact, I believe this was the next movie we were going to go see, Coles, when everything shut down here in Seattle. Um, so 14 months later, we were able to go sit in a movie, movie theater together and watch this for the first time. Um, it's been so long. It was such a wildly emotional experience not just a movie but like just getting to see all of our friends and be in this setting and environment again i'm so glad honestly because for me i'll be honest when they showed us this email or they sent this email they said hey this film we're only gonna send you to a theater like you, you don't have a screening link option to watch it at home i was a little disappointed because i was lazy and i'm conven it's convenient to sit at home and i've gotten used to that but i am so glad so glad that I had to go to the theater for this movie. Um, I think it was a big win, and, and it was good to be back. So, yeah, it was good times. Um, well, let's get started with this one. Uh, what did you like about this sequel? First, I want to ditto everything you just said in that beautiful monologue about getting back to the theaters. The only thing for me I didn't miss was that parking fees in Seattle. Right, <laughs> right. They jumped them up. They increased them like tenfold. They say we're the getting a year. free free movie screening, but no, we still have to pay the cost of a movie ticket for our parking fees. Hey, but it was all worth it. It was a beautiful night last night. This film is definitely made for the theater. Once again, we're seeing a masterclass in sound design, sound mixing, and sound editing. I mean, literally, the use of silence in this film, I haven't heard it better than I haven't heard it better than this in any film maybe it's because of the big screen and the speakers are right there you get that dolby sound but it's absolutely immaculate how they work how they did the sound design on this film i mean just from the little the little sounds of the feet when they hit leaves or crunching against sand and rocks i mean the kickling and the cackling of the monsters and just the way it, it's bone chilling it, it's very unnerving and you know the use of the sign language and knowing when to use silence Instead of a original score, but the original score is brilliant. I love the original score for this film, and trying to parlay that and also use the silence in this film is it's edited and it's mixed very well. So beautiful job on the sound once again. Um, John has gotten better at being a director. He directed the hell out of this. Pardon my language. I mean the the use of slow panning. He's able to stretch out tension just in a beautiful tight manner like it doesn't go on too long and it doesn't just happen quick for an easy um generic jump scare he's able to just stretch out these moments of suspense 
long enough to keep you in sweat and just long enough to keep you in that chaos, that paranoia, not knowing what's going to happen. It's not knowing these monsters are going to come out of nowhere because, you know, we are so used to living in a busy industrial world where we're hearing sounds all the time. And now being in a world of silence, it's just it's just I couldn't put my head around it. I couldn't put my head around being in a situation like that. And that's why the reason the first film was a breakout hit was because it explored those kind of psychological aspects of human relations and just trying to survive and having glimmers of hope. And this film does that too. Now, I wouldn't say it's as strong as the first one in developing those ideas. I feel like it's more action-oriented. Like, there is like a blockbuster feel, which is not a bad thing. Like I said, this is definitely the big theater experience. But you get to see a lot more conflicts with the monsters. They pop up out of nowhere now. They're able to run and... You know, they're, they're just everywhere now. They seem to be everywhere. They almost have populated the whole land. And so you get more of these encounters. And it's it's great in every measure. Uh, I mean, I, there was a couple of times I saw you jump in your seat. <laughs> there was a lot of times I was seeing the crowd just ooh and ah, just kind of like shake and jump at like a critter just coming out of nowhere, blasting into the screen. It was <laughs> it was phenomenal. And I also love the two kid actors. Um, I'm trying to think of their name. Millicent uh, Simmons and Noah Jupe. Yeah, Melissa Simmons and Noah Jupe. They are the MVPs for me. Their their roles kind of get a little bit more stepped up with Krasinski not being in this film. And they get to have their own individual moments of showcase where they get to show off them trying to save the world or where they're trying to show off them trying to get away from the monsters or having to like fulfill some kind of sacrifice in order to live the next day. I mean, I, I love the dramatic moments. I love the addition of um, Murphy in this film. He's one of my favorite character actors, and it was great to see him in this. And also his beard is tremendous as well. (laughs) Beard goals for sure. If all it takes is like two years of living in an apocalypse with monsters outside my door (laughs) to get there, uh, sign me up. Yes, me too. The best comparison I can give this film is that it feels like to me like an Aliens to Alien. Like, Everybody knows about Alien. It's a cerebral sci-fi film, and it's one of the classics and one of the greatest films made of all time. And then you have Aliens, James Cameron's follow-up, and it's more blockbuster action, but it doesn't lose the significant appeal of the first film. And it actually has a great story arc for Riley. Um, Now, this film, I wouldn't put it in the tier of Aliens. But it feels like to me that they did an alien's job on this, where you at least keep some of the appeal of the first film. You keep the same thrills. You keep the same horror. You keep the same tone and the pacing. Let me tell you, it is always a benefit if you leave me wanting more instead of me wanting to get out of a film early. Like, I, I looked at you when this film ended. I was like, there's not 40 minutes, more minutes of this? And you was like, nope, that's it. And I <laughs> yeah. literally was shocked. It went by in a blaze, and it never stops. It was like a locomotive train like that is just traveling along the roads with no obstacles at all. It it moves beautifully. So for me, I would say the best comment given is that it's like an aliens to an alien. I mean, it's a very great companion to the first film. That is a great way to put it, my friend. I, I completely agree with that example. Uh, it really is solid. And it man, I, I loved it. I loved it. Uh, I think that it starts off really well with this sort of extended flashback sequence to how the film or how the world began or how, how this situation started, which is where we get to see Krasinski. Uh, and I enjoy that because... 
it gives us some much needed backstory to what to some of the characters we're going to see later in the story that are going to mean something. And it sort of makes the film work as both a sequel and also a prequel, right? In a way, like it giving us that little bit of, um, of the past. And I, and it, it does enhance some of the moments from the first film because you see the same family before things have gone bad for them. And you get to see what this little town is like, um, how it's just on an, you know, everybody's very friendly. It's a very small town feel and just the shock factor of, of when the monsters kind of show up in their world for the first time, what that's like. I think it was captured really well. John does uh, some tracking shots here that I thoroughly enjoyed. There are some really long takes and yeah, I mean, he is a really great actor. Emily Blunt is a phenomenal actress. Cillian Murphy is, like you just said, for me, he's one of my favorite character actors as well. So that's even before we count the kids who are, like you said, the MVPs. I mean, the cast is phenomenal. It's a tight, small cast, and everybody is A-talent actors. And so that shows. But anyway, I really like the the prequel nature of it. All this happens before you even get, like, the title of the film on the screen. So it's it's not a long point. But it is enhancing to me. I agree with tension. So, yes, since you told on me, I did jump several times because they got me. This movie has jump scares, okay? And that is not a bad thing. I I do not understand everybody who goes out and says, jump scares are terrible and a horror movie is bad if it has jump scares. No. Horror movies are bad when all they have is jump scares. Mm Mm-hmm. Or when they don't have effective jump scares. There were things that happened that made perfect story sense. And they made perfect story sense because the perspective of the camera and it was showing us the perspective of certain characters, it would have been a freaking jump scare. Like, it, it scared them too. Like, that's the point, right? And yeah, I was caught off guard in some moments. And I, I enjoyed it. I thought that the way that it made my heartbeat go up was a, a, a pleasant thing. You know, that's kind of what I was there for. That constant tension is it. You could cut it with a knife. Like it is nonstop. Just like the first film, you seriously don't feel like you have time to take a breath. There, there. It does not ever allow you a moment of release in this movie until the final frame. Just like the first film, and I really appreciate the craft of being able to accomplish that. Where even when the film is going through its peaks. And it's moments of action and then it kind of, you know, is calming itself down a little bit. Even when it, quote, calms itself down, the threat is never gone. And so you never you realize like these people, they live like this, Coles. Like this is their their entire life for 474 days, I think it was. They they can't take a break if they want to go and get some silent area to talk in. They have to go inside of this closed off kind of uh device right where they can't breathe they have to set a timer in order to stay you know have enough oxygen in order just to speak to each other for a few seconds that's how hard it is to find somewhere to talk to each other with words it is crazy and so because of that tone impressively being maintained throughout the whole film um the pacing's perfect and and you're right the time flies by and when it's over you're just like man wow like already the 
advancement of the brother and sister storyline and the relationship i think is fantastic i love that them growing up is a major theme in this and just seeing how they developed and how they grew through the challenges that they face and the decisions they had to make was really really uh, awesome to see the sound design is once again like you mentioned it is the star of the show it has to be good i mean this is a movie based around sound like the that's the that's the hook for the whole monster so it has to have fantastic sound design and i think that it really does great the way that the score will cut and change based on character perspective so just like in the first film millicent simmons whose character is deaf when we cut directly to only her point of view oftentimes the sound will go completely out and it's a really effective way of illustrating how she is taking in the world around her at that time. Um, I'm a little mixed on the actual score. Just like in the first film, uh, you know, some part of me wishes that we didn't have it. There's like moments where we get like a pounding score that is really intentionally escalating the suspenseful feeling in you. Like if a monster is chasing somebody and other times it's just the sound design and the sound design does enough. And so I'm torn because Part of me wonders what this would be like, you know, with a scoreless cut, you know, uh, would be really interesting to see. But part of me, I mean, it works for me, so I'm not like upset by it. It's a very effective score. Uh, so, yeah, man, I I just thought it was really great. Like you said, the first movie is all about hiding from this unseen, scary force. And some people have criticized this already and will be criticizing it because it shows the monster too much. They're going to say, whoa. Holy moly, like there's these guys are everywhere. I didn't need the sequel to hide the monster. The first movie hid the monster. Like now that we know what it's like and we know it's out in the open and you're expanding your area because this whole movie is about an expansion. They're going outside of their house, right? They're traveling this countryside now in various times. You're going to run into these things like you can't avoid them out in the open. So you're going to see them. And. I mean, that's part of the fun. Part of the fun is seeing how they take them down. You know, I enjoyed that. You got to see the monster in order to see him take him down. So it didn't bother me at all. And I just, I really, really loved it. People people have slept on Cillian Murphy too freaking long. This guy's incredible talent. Uh. He, he's so good. He's so good in this. And I mean, in everything he does, but he's so good. So was there anything that you stuck out as like real negative for you in this one? I wouldn't say real negative. I would say kind of surprising. There wasn't a lot of Emily Blunt in this film. I felt that she would have more time. She would have more of those moments that John Krasinski had in the first film. Now that she is the leader of this family unit, I thought that she would have more of those standalone moments, um, kind of like those badass moments. And she didn't seem to have a lot of them, which, hey, I guess is a nice change of pace. I wouldn't say it's a negative, just kind of surprising, you know, and I could see probably it could be a defect for others who are expecting this to be a full-on showcase for Emily Blunt but this film and the the first film was about the family and the second film is still about the family I mean you can't forget that there's her and then there's two other kids and then the little baby that she's holding and then the supporting characters so I wouldn't say it's a negative just mostly a surprise for me I don't really have any defects or problems with this film it was great and that's probably it's probably the reason why it's so great is because it was my first time in a the theater back in the year and hey 
I'm going to cherish this feeling. I'm going to cherish it. <laughs> I, I completely agree. It's funny because I only have two things written down, and one of them is what you just said. We are really in mm-hmm. like lockstep tonight. Uh, Emily Blunt is not the primary focus of the story, and so it's it's like <laughs> it's kind of like a a win and a loss at the same time because we know how great she is, and so you kind of want to see more from her. But she also has the baby to think about that is kind of an ever present struggle for them to deal with now. And in this film, it's more about the kids. But the the thing is that they split the characters up in this film. I'm not going to tell you who goes where and who does what, but the thing is that the family were, were all together in the first movie in the house. In this movie, they get separated, and we go on different journeys, and they have different challenges that they have to face. And so it's different. I don't know that it's a huge negative, but it is very different. And part of me kind of wishes I could have seen these characters. And in a, I'll put it this way. This is going to tie into my biggest dislike, and that is the ending. I wanted to see these characters come back together. They don't come back together in a way that is satisfying to me. The ending, it just happens. If you remember the first film, spoilers. I mean, sorry, I'm not going to go spoiler free on the first film. The ending of the first film, <laughs> they're in the basement, monsters coming at them. They figure out how to stop the monster with the hearing aid device that dad had engineered. And Emily Blunt shotguns it to the face, cut to black, right? We have no idea what happens to this family after they take down the monster. They 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 save themselves and then boom, we're done. That was part of the brilliance of that story. Because it was a one and done at the time. It was one movie, one moment, a couple of days in a life, and I loved it for that. This movie, for me, it does the same kind of thing, and there's no overarching resolution to what is going on. And not only was there no resolution, but it's amplified because we have multiple different situations happening instead of just one, and there's no resolution to any of them, and there's also no teasing a path forward it felt to me like a cliffhanger it felt to me like an episode of tv where you know you're going to get an episode next week but we don't know what's coming next week we don't have any knowledge that there is even going to be something else made but yet clearly it is intentionally angling for this setup of potential sequels and potential spinoffs and all of these things and I just, I felt very unsatisfied. I was like, that's it? Like, I mean, there, there's characters are completely, like, you just don't know what, <laughs> I don't know how to explain it without spoilers. Like, there's so many characters, you just have no freaking idea what happened to anybody. And it's really kind of frustrating to me because I left with that feeling of being unsatisfied instead of getting to walk out with all of the high that I had for the first 90 full minutes of the movie. Um, I just, I just wish that it had a better ending. I wish that it doesn't have to like, like, I don't mind setting up sequels. I don't mind teasing what might, where the direction might go in the future. Um, but I didn't feel like it did a great job of wrapping this up for me. Um, and it's a little tropey. It, it, it's a little tropey. Like apocalyptic movies with people being survivors, they tend to go pretty much one way. You know, Silly Murphy says in the in the trailer at one point, you know, it's not just the monsters out there uh. that are dangerous. You know, the the people are even worse. So I mean, 
every apocalyptic story, you have to deal with this, where there's survivors who are not going to be people worth, quote, saving. Or you're going to have to have characters who are looking to find some long-lost colony of survivors somewhere else where they think they're going to be safe. Um, I Am Legend, The Walking Dead, all of these movies have these elements. And so this does some of those exact same things. And, and so by that token, it's not really surprising in any way the way the narrative plays out. So again, these are not like make or break type of things. This is like in my top couple movies for the year as well, just like you. I absolutely love it. I think it is a fantastic sequel to a fantastic movie. And I am so glad we have these original feeling thrillers, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the things that kind of kept it from making it. It, it was, could have been a five star. Like for me, like it could have been better than the original, I think, had the ending been a little different for me. Yeah. Once I saw the whole angle of, hey, the humans are monsters too, I was like, ah. Oh. I mean, I guess the film needs to go there, but it just felt like a deleted Walking Dead episode. Like, even the characters look like they came straight from The Walking Dead. Like, I was like, that actor, he looks kind of familiar. Was he playing in The Walking Dead? But I am glad, in no spoilers, but I'm glad of how it resolves it resolves itself. It doesn't take it. It doesn't take its time in trying to like really like establish something in the long game. It really just like boom, boom, like a snap of the finger. So I will appreciate that. I did too. Yeah. That that was part of the great pacing is it doesn't linger on things. It just it's a rapid fire. It's very much in the moment of the characters as they're experiencing it. And so the audience gets to feel that same way where characters wouldn't have, you know, tons and tons of time to kind of linger and think about things like they're just trying to survive and you get to feel that same way. So, yeah, I, I appreciated that. Well, this one, Coles, is not coming to streaming services right away it will only be in theaters it's coming to theaters may 28th so listeners whenever you're listening to this this episode goes up you still have about a week and a half or so before it's going to be available to you that means you got time to pr- make plans you got time to pre or pre-order your tickets if you wish coalesce theater you're saying go i'm guessing this is a must watch in a theater i mean you're going to appreciate more of the sound design, and you're going to get that blockbuster feel. Like, watching this on, I, hey, I have an OLED, it's a 50-inch, but watching this on the 50-inch OLED, it wouldn't it wouldn't hit the same. It would just feel like, okay, this is a great film, but it wouldn't have that that power, that Herculean power. And I think if you go and watch this in, on a big screen, you're going to feel that power, and it's going to enhance the experience. So, yes, please jump in the car, take the whole family, go to the theater, and watch this. 100% agree. Can't can't deny it was an amazing experience, both just being back in that setting and then particularly for this film. Like it is it is a film that that huge sound design is going to be made. It's just going to be such a great experience for you. Um, I mean, it's the, the kind of movie where people munch on a piece of popcorn and you immediately shoot them a glare like how freaking dare you? How dare you? do such a thing in this movie of all movies um yeah it's great it's a fantastic sequel and we both say go see it well that's it for us this time on ff plus uh, we hope that you found a movie that will pique your interest and we would love to hear what you think so when you do see these hit us up on twitter at feelin film at black nerd magic or join the feelin film facebook discussion group there's always a link to that in the show notes and you can come chat with us all day every day about any movie you wish We'll be back soon, of course, and until then, keep feeling film. 
Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at Film, or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places, and I'd love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter, but be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.